14 tonight, the book of Luke 14 tonight. I was inspired, um, this sermon that I'm about to preach to you tonight, by what my children have been doing recently. On a number of occasions, uh, they always have given me the impression that when we have food on the table, for example, if it's a piece of meat or bread or anything of that sort, they always like to take the best-looking one. Uh, if it had some corners that have been cut off or if it doesn't look like a full piece of meat, uh, they will not want to take that. They would say, Daddy, you have that. Or Mommy, you have that. They like the perfect-looking piece. This is not only true with food. This is also true uh, with many other things that we have and we do as a family at home, uh, they always like the best seat at home. You know, we have two chairs in my office and my wife and I, we sit on that and sometimes we, we, we uh, spend time reading and we do, uh, uh, you know, um, um, chat and sit down on the chair. And so to them, it's like the chairs that they have is too hard for them. It's like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. You know, uh, it's too hard for them. So they want our chair. They want our seat. Uh, sometimes when we have drinks and we're making some juice or anything like that, they want the, ju they want the cup with the most amount of juice in it. And so I begin to think about this desire or rather this virtue that my children seem to portray. And I realize that I'm not too far from that too. That it is, in, it is indeed an innate desire in our hearts to desire the best. We want everything, we want the best of everything for ourselves. It seems to me that selfishness is not foreign to human nature. And we're going to read a story tonight, a parable from the book of Luke chapter 14. And with that as the backdrop, I want you to consider this passage with me as Jesus begins to confront this spirit. In Luke 14 verses 7 through 11 tonight, let's read that beloved. So he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, Go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher, then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. Verses 11, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I want to preach to you tonight a sermon I've called Losing to Gain. Jesus confronts this spirit right here 
And he uses the parable, the story of a guest who is invited to a wedding feast. And what Jesus does in the first place as you read this passage is he deals with the expectation of the attendee. These were seats as we begin to observe. The Bible says when you are invited, the Bible declares to us that you should choose not to sit at the best seat in that wedding feast. Instead, you should choose to go to the lowest. This is, these are the words of Jesus. And so he's describing to us that these were seats of honour. Rather, as you do some study concerning this passage, they were prominent seats. They were seats where they were highly visible. They were seats where they were close to the host and distinguished guests. So people could see them when they sat on these seats. And Jesus instructs these people. He says to them, Restrain yourself. In verses 8, the Bible says, Do not sit down in the best. Do not. In other words, he's saying, You have to make this conscious decision to choose the less important seed. He simply says, Make space for others. Selfishness and pride are kissing cousins. I've heard someone quote that. And we often love the limelight. This is, the con this is what Jesus is confronting here. This is not foreign to us as human beings. We seem to enjoy the limelight. We enjoy being visible to others. We enjoy the attention because it fends our pride. There's a term that is often used that Jesus is confronting in this text. It's called superiority complex. Not inferiority complex, but superiority complex. And what that simply means is the desire to want to be recognized. The desire to want to be seen. This is the generation we live in. People want bigger. People want louder. People want to feel superior. People enjoy bragging about themselves. We like to come to a place, just as Jesus is speaking here, where we can brag and boast, I got the most important seed of the house. I'm the most important person of the house. I am the most recognized person in the house. And the powerful evidence of conversion is this, when self becomes less. So this spirit that Jesus is confronting this superiority complex, a spirit that is so prevalent in our culture today, Jesus begins to help us understand that when conversion happens, this is true, I've seen it time and time again, when someone truly gets saved, there is an absence of selfishness in their lives. When a person can think with maturity, there is often day 
considering others more than themselves. Show me a matured person and I'll show you a person that cares about others more than themselves. It is an uncommon appearance, today especially. It is so uncommon when someone isn't craving to be treated like a VIP. We have this nature in us. We like to be recognized. We like to be called by our title. We like to be called with our position or rather with the name that has been bestowed upon us. And when we consume ourselves with being called that way, when we consume ourselves with, you know what, if you don't call me like that or if you don't treat me like that or if you don't talk to me like that, then you begin to feel trapped threatened, this is a spirit that Jesus is dealing with here. I must be treated a certain way. I must be called a certain way. James chapter 2 confronts this. In verses 2 to 3, it says, For there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes, and say to him, Chen uh, uh, no, the scripture is not there. James 2, 2 to 3. Find clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there and sit here at my footstool. See, Jesus confronts the segregation. He says, this is not right. It is not right that the church comes to a place where people are embraced inappropriately, where just because someone has a certain type of appearance or certain type of clothing, or just because a person has certain type of success in life, they are treated differently in church. They are treated with segregation. They are treated with a form of injustice. Jesus, the Bible in the book of James says, this isn't right. And so I want to talk to you then, once we've dealt with the superiority complex, a profound truth that haunts many people. And I think the reason for that is because we hate losing. In fact, we are horrible at losing. We set our expectations too high to please ourselves because it feels good. The sermon came about from a few different thoughts over the past week, one of which was the recent US election, which is a case in point. Here we have a man who refuses to simply give up his position a man who essentially blamed everyone around him, calling his own vice president a covert, choosing not to pay his own lawyer, announcing a protest. I know people say, oh, he didn't say to bring guns. What do you expect when you say a protest in the US? We're not talking about birthday rallies here. We're talking about him speaking it out and it caused such a chaos. And according to his wife, ex-wife, Ivana, she told People magazine that her ex 
doesn't like to lose. So he's going to fight and fight and fight. And she went on to say, he is not a good loser. Now, before we jump the gun on Trump, are we a good loser? See, the elder brother syndrome is somewhere in all of us. We don't like someone else being elevated. We don't like someone else being given attention. We don't like the fact when we are ignored. And Jesus describes how your pride can get wounded. The Bible says in verses 9, lest he comes to you. And he says, give to this give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. And so this is the problem in our generation today. We don't like to be told we're wrong. But from our text, Jesus emphasizes that self must decrease. To think not too highly of self. Others should become the problem. When you read this passage, Jesus is emphasizing others need to be the priority, not you. And this involves our thinking. How we can become so caught up. And how we must strive for ourselves to be eliminated from the limelight. How many times we like and we like to be under that attention. We like to be under that limelight. We like to be treated superiorly or even in a superior manner. We enjoy being treated like that. It feels good. It feels good to be recognized. It feels good to have that attention. And sometimes, beloved, let's face it, in our DNA, it is indeed a human need to be given attention. So I'm not preaching that we should be not given attention, but I'm saying to you tonight that we cannot allow the spirit of superiority, preeminence, that I can only sit in this kind of seats, that I can only be treated in such a way. Our thinking when we start looking down at other people just because they are not as talented or gifted like us. And we start condemning people. This is what we call high-mindedness. Romans chapter 12, verses 3, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. A person who cannot be told they are wrong without retaliation, negative reaction, they always want to only be told they are right. Wow! Wonderful! Excellent! Anything less than that, they get offended. They must only hear words of compliments. They seem to only strive, as I told you, I believe, on, on, on Sunday night, probably last week, I said, if you want to know a man, say no to him. And you can see the true colors of a person. You can see who they truly become. And Paul says, 
that we should not think more highly than we ought to think of ourselves, but to think soberly. This is where compassion comes from. This is where empathy comes from. This is how we can treat people like human beings with dignity and respect. They always want to be told they are right. Now, where does this come from? Have you wondered, why would a man walk into a wedding feast and desire to immediately choose a place of preeminence, a place of recognition? Why would a person enter into this wedding feast in such a way? Why would a person come and say, you know what, I deserve to be treated like this. You need to announce my name per se. You need to tell everyone what I've done. You need to glorify and you need to say to everyone all that I have contributed, for example. And, and, and what makes a person come to that? Two things. Jealousy and the lack of self-esteem. We talk about superiority complex. But there's inferiority in someone who begins to establish himself as higher than anyone else. The reason they behave like that is because they lack self-esteem. Listen, beloved, I know numbers of people who are incredibly successful. Incredibly successful. But you would see them like normal people, no, you, you can't figure out that they, they, they have all of this success. You cannot figure it out that they've got all that is working for them. They don't show off. They don't brag. They don't boast about it. They've learned to give credit where credit is due. It's God. It's God. When jealousy exists, Entitlement resonates. You see, when you walk into that wedding feast, the first thing you say, I, I deserve to sit here. And the moment we come with that spirit, I deserve to be paid like this. I deserve to be treated like I deserve that you talk to me like I deserve that you treat me this way. The moment we come to that entitlement, I say to you, beloved, when we come to that place where we feel we're entitled, God has no problems wounding our pride. He has no problems coming to us and correcting us. Hey, 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 get up. You need to go and sit there. God has no problems doing it. We see that in our passage. What did he say? He says, get up, go sit on the lower seat. Jesus had no problems correcting and rebuking someone. You want to break someone's pride, correct them. Rebuke them. You would see them break or you would see them grow in pride. They become more defensive. Who are you to tell me that? Who are you to tell me to go and sit on the lower? Who are you to instruct me in that way? Or they said, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. You know what? Let me stand up. Let me go. See, that choice of response determines the character you have. When pride is present, we always think we're right. When a person blames everyone, it's clear, symbolic. That pride is present. 
Be careful when you get around people and all they ever do is blame. This person's fault, that person's fault, this person's fault. And they never take at all responsibility to their own life. They never say, you know what, I could have done it differently. That's pride. That's pride. Proverbs 13, 18, poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction, hates correction. Poverty and shame is the byproduct of a person who despises to be corrected. You don't like being told you're wrong. Beloved, the only road that you will be heading towards is poverty and shame, the Bible says. But he who regards a rebuke will be honoured. Didn't we read that in Proverbs? Proverbs 13, Proverbs 9, verses 8. I'm quoting from the verses we've been reading recently. Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. So you want to know whether someone is wise? Correct them and see. And you'll know how wise they really are. If they retaliate, if they begin to uh, blow up, and if they begin to uh, 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 react negatively, you know truly where they stand. So the question then is how well do we respond when we are told we're wrong? How well do we respond when things don't go our way? You know the story of LeBron James a basketball player, after losing to the Orlando Magics uh, in the Eastern Conference Final, he, instead of going and doing the whole good game handshake formality, James stormed into the locker room angry and upset. I'm sure all of his teammates were equally upset at the outcome, but James was too good to stay and do the right thing. You see, beloved, how many of us, we know that sportsmanship requires a good character to play and to be able to accept losing requires good sportsmanship. We know we've read about the tennis player, her name escapes my mind now, that she's a very, very, um, does anyone remember her name uh, again? No, not Vanessa Williams. Uh, but th- there's another, th- there's another la- lady and I, I, she threw her racket in temper and she got angry and upset and, and all of that. Beloved, that's telling of a person's character. Get up. Go and sit there. Who are you to tell me that? And begin to blow up. Then the second thing we see in this passage is Jesus teaches us the mature thing to do. He says, before you go into that wedding feast, when you walk in, choose the less prominent place. In verses 10, he says, when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. Who are you to lift yourself up? If it's your own home, it's a different story. But when you're invited to someone else's function, just sit down at a place where you are less Noticed. 
And Jesus is saying, you know, don't, don't go and try to sit in a place where there's prominence. Don't choose that. He iterates and reiterates that the truth and reality of who we are. In other words, what I'm saying this evening, beloved, hear me out carefully. Come down to earth and realize who you are. You see, we can walk with high noses. And we can think, oh, you know, I'm so... You know, I'm invited to this wedding and, you know, I'm here, you know, and, 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 and whoever invited me, they're so privileged to have me come, actually. Or would you actually say, you know what, actually, with all honesty, I may not deserve to be here. See, that's the truth. That's the reality. But you see, we live in a culture today that doesn't want to face Reality. The lessons Jesus was teaching his disciples hinged on humility being embraced while pride is shamed. This was the principle of the entire story. Humility will embrace, will be embraced, will be exalted, but pride will be put to shame. The proud will be put to shame. Jesus confronted the spirit in the Pharisees. In fact, when you read this passage, Jesus was in the Pharisees' house. He was there with them and he's saying these words to them because he saw them to be the people who always wanted the best seats in the synagogue. Luke eleven forty three. 43, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace. Religiosity promoted a sense of pride when we think we know better. This was, these were the Pharisees, right? And I begin to study this. I begin to go into this passage and I realized that Jesus was truly beginning to establish here that as human beings, we have to be honest with who we really are. Now, there's a term in the finance field it's a financial, uh, it, it's a behavioral financial, uh, finance uh, 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 virtue. And it's called loss aversion. It's a tendency in behavioral finance. Loss aversion is where investors become so fearful of losses that they focus on trying to avoid a loss more so than making gains. So, what happens is, they are so afraid of losing that they emphasize their energy, their effort and their strength into making sure they're not losing. Let's not lose, let's not lose, let's not lose, let's not lose. So much so, they're not growing. They're caught up in not wanting to lose to the degree that they miss Gaining. And this is the problem with you and I as Christians or even as human beings this evening. We can be so caught up in being afraid to give up and to lose certain things that we were entrusted with. We were given the privilege to. Because we fear losing them, we never grow, we never mature. And because of our fear, 
Because we want to hold on to them, we never gain in other areas of our lives. In Matthew chapter 16, 25 to 26, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world, loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And so here Jesus reprimands and rebukes the spirit. He says, you are so caught up in not willing to lose to the point that you're going to even lose eternity. You see, a mature thinking person will collaborate with this principle. And that is simply this, the title of my sermon, Losing is Gaining. That when we refuse self, hear me very carefully here, when we are willing to lose self, when we are willing to lose our pride, when we are willing to lose our selfish agendas, when we are willing to lose the comforts to a degree in our lives, when we are willing to lay down our ego, lay down our arrogance. Beloved, the Bible gives us insight. We grow in character. Don't get so caught up in, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I have to give up you know, this place. I have to give up my position. I have to give up my title. I have to give... Don't get so caught up in losing that God cannot help you grow in character. We must lose to gain. Some of the great losers have the best characters. Some of the people that I know who have been sliced and removed and decisions upon decisions to eliminate selfishness and agendas of the flesh. They seem to have a lot better in character. Now culture is filled with those who want to think highly of themselves. We read Romans chapter 12, verses 3. We always have the ten, it's human nature. We always think very highly of ourselves. And how do we do that? We like to lie about ourselves. Isn't it true? Come on. Beloved, let's face it. Have you been reading Proverbs to make ourselves look good? We tell yes, we have. I remember there's a story that a pastor got on stage. He says, okay, I want the whole church to read Mark chapter 17. And next week, I want all of you to come back. And after you've read it, I'm going to be preaching from Mark 17. So the whole church, you know, yeah, praise God. And they all left. And next week, he came back. He says, okay, how many of you read Mark 17? And nearly the whole church lifted their hands. And then he went on and says, okay, now I can preach on lying because there's no Mark 17. The truth is, we always like people to think highly of us. So what do we do? We lie. Yeah, yeah, I did this. Oh, because why? Because you want someone to think great of you. This is a spirit. A spirit that eliminates honesty and truthfulness. We've come to a place where we want people to think a certain way about us. So we will say anything just to make ourselves look good. Kingdom economy this evening. 
The Bible gives us insight. And what Jesus is reflecting on in this entire passage gives us insight concerning kingdom economy. Kingdom economy simply means, we talked about loss aversion, but here we find kingdom economy, it simply means that we're gaining here, but we're losing in eternity. In other words, what Jesus was dealing with is a spirit, it's a character that you can lose the seat here in this wedding feast, but you have a greater reward because your character will be changed and you will be in eternity with me. You, your character is going to determine your eternity. Jesus begins to make the case. You can sit on the higher seat People may applaud for us. People may look at us and say, whoa, what a great sermon that was. Whoa, what a fantastic service it was. But let me ask you a question. Does God applaud? See, that's what really matters, isn't it? Who cares how many people applaud here if God is not applauding us? That's kingdom economy. Kingdom economy simply says that God's applause is far more important than people's applause. That God's applause is far more important than people's applause. That no matter what people may do and what people may say, according to kingdom economy, the lowest means the best. That it will actually do us good. And when you've truly been converted, that's the kind of spirit you will carry upon your heart. That I am willing to take the back seat. God, I'm ready. God, I will serve. God, I will be involved. God, I will do everything and anything you call me to. I don't need the limelight. I don't need the attention. I don't need the recognition. I don't need people to applaud me. I just want to do what's right. That is an evidence of a person who has truly been converted. Do you shrivel and, and feel offended when people don't treat you with respect? Because if that's us, then you have a problem. Do you get offended when people don't give you that place and that position that you went expecting for? People get offended about things like this. I remember years ago, there was a number of them who went to the US Bible conference. They had expectations. In fact, they had very high expectations. And a number of these Malaysians came back from that conference disappointed and offended because they said we were not treated like this. We were not treated like that. We were not given this. We were not given that. It seemed like they assumed that these things were a right, not a privilege anymore. That it is your right to give this to me. It is your right to treat me like... But I've learned, beloved, always come to the place where you can expect nothing from people but place your expectation on God. That's the place where you will have no disappointments and offence. But you see, how many times we chase after the accolades, the recognition of this world. Oh, you didn't call me pastor. 
Oh, you didn't call me brother. Oh, you didn't call me this. Oh, you didn't give me that position. You didn't recognize me. You didn't do this for me. We got no time for that. The kingdom of God is bigger than myself and bigger than you. And so let's close then. One of the stories I remember was about Pastor Wayman Mitchell. I'm going to close. Give me five minutes, I'm done. Uh, Pastor Alex shared this with me years ago. He went into India. And as he got off the plane, Pastor Mitchell uh, began to uh, 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 get his bags. And when he got his bags, some of these disciples, he was back then, I think he might have been about 60, 60 odd years old, 70 years old at that time, or maybe slightly older. Uh, and at that time, you know, one of these young men went to him and says, Pastor, let me get your bag for you. I would remember, he turned around, he said to that young man, he said, listen, I've got the bags, I can handle it. But though he sounded straight up, he was simply saying that, you know what? I have to stay humble because I'm here to serve and ultimately being the leader of the fellowship, 2,000 odd churches across the nations, That's humility right there. So this spirit, superiority complex, needs to be broken in our hearts. How does that happen? And Jesus set the tone. He showed us how it's going to happen. Now, I read a quote earlier today, and in this quote, I thought it was very profound. He says, people who look down at other people don't end up being looked up at, or sorry, looked up to. People who look down at other people don't end up being looked up to. In other words, when you constantly look down at people, when you constantly condemn people, when you constantly have a brighter idea and think you're better than others, no one wants to follow a leader like that. Mark chapter 10, 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Luke chapter 6, verses 40, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Service and serving breaks the Spirit. I say that again. Serving and service breaks the Spirit. Jesus showed us by washing the feet of the disciples. And we know that the throne waited for Him. Can you imagine Jesus being the Son of God knew that there was a throne in the heavenlies for Him. It was waiting for Him. It was a seat that was right to the right hand, next to the right hand of the Father. And yet, even though He knew all of those privileges were there for Him, Jesus served His people. That's, that's profound. He could have said, hey, look, I know I'm already going to heaven. I know I'm going to sit at the right hand of the Father. I know that, you know what, my life on earth is temporal. But he never allowed any of those things to rob him of his purpose on earth. He served. The Bible gives us clarity concerning this. He didn't take his position for granted. He served as a servant. This is the truth that every one of us as Christians must come to. The exalted will be humble and the humble will be exalted. 
This right here tonight as we close is an irrefutable principle. It's a, it's a word called hubris. The word hubris means pride before the fall. This is exactly the reality of any person who thinks too highly of themselves, who pretends to know it all with no honesty and truth. So how do you deal with this spirit? I think there's number one, because of our innate desire for preeminence, and our innate desire for superiority, it makes us feel good. We like to be a given attention. We like to walk into a restaurant and be called by our names. We like that attention. That's the VIP effect. We like it. How do we deal with it? Number one, practically, we need to express gratitude. Somewhere, this man who came to the wedding feast would instinctively choose a less honourable place. He would have done so if he was grateful to simply have been invited. Are, are you with me? That means if he had gratitude in his heart, if he was simply thankful, it didn't matter which seat I got, it didn't matter which place you gave me, I am just glad to be here. That comes with gratitude. It doesn't matter if you give me attention, it doesn't matter if you ignore me, it doesn't matter, I am just grateful to be here. Gratitude overcomes pride. Gratitude overcomes the spirit of preeminence that says I need to be the central attention of anything that's going on. I need to be the focus. I need to be. So gratitude brings you back to earth. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. There's been times that I've seen this to be true in my own life where I've gone, I've preached and there are moments when I have been, I have had to deal with certain elements of, you know, unfairness or injustice and it happens, that's life. But I've learned to say, hey, you know what? Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for letting me come. Thank you. Thank you for the privilege. Because I've learned I don't deserve the best seat. I just am glad to do something. See, that's the breakdown right there. That's where people get carried away. The second thing that you can do, a practical advice, and I'm closing here, is to always promote and talk about others better than yourself. Have you got around someone and all they ever do is talk about how great they are? Yeah, I tell you what I did. Let me just um, let me tell you. And then they, they go on and all they do is they brag about themselves. It's all about themselves. You sit down with them for one hour and all they ever talk about is how great they are. You should write a song for them. You, you get annoyed with people like that. You get upset. You're like... Oh. Okay, that's, that's, 
one for the road and it's, it'll be a long time before I come and sit down with you again. But when you hear people talk about others, when you hear people promoting others, wow, you did a great job. You're not intimidated because someone else is excelling better than you. You're glad. You're happy for them. Oh, you closed a big deal. Wow, praise God. You see, that, 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 that's a blessing, man. Wow. No, but we deal with an envious, green-eyed generation. When someone does better, we get jealous. And so what do we do? We compete. And that's why, no doubt, the best seat in the house. Because we're jealous. I need to show this person how well I am doing. I need to show this person how you know, important I am. I need to show this person. Listen, if, if, if you start talking about it, if you start rejoicing in other people's victories, you will learn that life is more than just yourself. I celebrate people who receive breakthrough in this church. I rejoice. I'm not jealous about I'm glad. I rejoice. I celebrate when another man preaches way better than I preach or even preaches better. I celebrate. I'm not, I'm not intimidated. I know where I stand in God. I know who I am in God. But there's always the need to say, you know what? Honestly, you did a good job. Bob Nardilli was the CEO of Home Depot many years ago. This was back probably in the 1990s. And um, in the book titled Derail by Tim Irvin, he wrote about this man. And I read it and I was so um, disturbed about some of the fundamentals and elements of this man. Because this man eventually uh, got kicked out of Home Depot left as the chairman and CEO. And just to give you a little bit of uh, uh, in, an inside scoop, people rejoiced when he left. They threw a party, they were excited, they were glad, they were high-fiving in the hallway and so on and so forth. People reacted ecstatically. The reason was because he was an arrogant leader who had left the company. You see, Bob Nardilli had his own private elevator to his 22nd floor office in Georgia. He's exclusive, it was his own exclusive elevator. No one else was allowed to use it. He would not share an elevator with an employee. It was his own and only for him. And if you read the story, this man had computer screens all through his office to monitor the entire operations of Home Depot all across the United States of America. He was a control freak. People say when he got around you, there was hostility because he, 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 he exuded this vibe of arrogance, a man who knew it all per se. People don't want to talk to him. Because every week in his inability to stay humble, he would fire at least one staff a week for not performing, for not doing their jobs well. People despised him. 
He in fact had nine private parking lots at the lobby of the office just for himself. He got derailed, sidetracked, carried away, and no longer effective as a leader. Can I tell you, beloved, when life revolves around you now, it's about my pride. It's about me being at giving attention. It's about me being given, uh, uh, you know, the privileges. I deserve it. I deserve it. Entitlement, jealousy, lack of self-esteem. You're on the losing end, number one. And number two, it will derail you from the will of God. So stay humble. Have gratitude in your heart. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you. And always find a reason to lift someone else above you. I'm not promoting that we live in condemnation, but I'm challenging you not to live in pride. Let's bow our heads tonight.